Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. I do apologize for this post being a little late. Um, it's been a very busy week with Thanksgiving and things such as that. But this is the last study in our book of Ruth, and it's entitled, What the Book of Ruth is Really About. A lot of people think the book of Ruth is about one thing, but if you look at the overall story, the book of Ruth is really about something else. So that's what this lesson is about. Hope you enjoy our last lesson on the book of Ruth. All right, this is going to be our last week in Ruth. And uh, like I said, if I go a little long tonight, you can blame Brother Marcus. Just meet him out back and give him, give him the talking to you want to give him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we all love the story of Ruth. You know, we admire her conviction. We admire her courage the willingness that she has to serve her God and His will, faithfulness, virtue, compassion, so many other qualities just jump off the page to us when we talk about Ruth. And there's a good reason for this. Ruth is one of the greatest women in world history. Um, you know, it's, it, it, so considering that she's a great woman, and all these qualities that she possesses, and she's one of the greatest women in world history, though the, it, it's kind of surprising when we stop to realize that Ruth is really not the main character of the book of Ruth. She's really not the main character. She certainly has the title role as Ruth, but uh, there's another story that um, is given far more importance than the Ruth story. There's another story in here. The book of Ruth begins with Naomi. The book of Ruth ends with Naomi. Uh, a commentator named Daniel Block, he took the time and ran the numbers. 55 of the 85 verses in Ruth contain dialogue. 678 of the 1,294 words in Ruth come from the lips of the characters. Ruth speaks less than Naomi. She speaks less than Boaz. Her speeches are shorter than the speeches of Naomi and shorter than the speeches of Boaz. Now, if the title were based on the plot line, we call this the book of Naomi. If the title was based on the dialogue, we'd call it the book of Boaz. If it was based on the importance of genealogy, We'd call it the book of Obed. But, um, you know, when we stop and see things from Naomi's point of view, something else entirely new comes into focus when we look at the book of Ruth. And the, 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 there is a heartbreaking moment when Naomi returns back to Bethlehem and, and the entire city is just emotionally moved with her return. But, but as people look and as they gather and they look at this woman and they look at her kind of with a tilted head and they said, is this Naomi? Is, is, is this Naomi? You know, it, it would appear that the years of backsliding had taken their toll on Naomi. Um, perhaps, perhaps she looks much older than she really is. She, because the Bible seems to indicate that she was almost, almost unrecognizable to them. 
So I guess the Bible's true in Proverbs 13, 15, when it says the way of the transgressor is hard. So just as Naomi comes in and she notices that she's a center of attention and she notices that everybody's looking at her, she launches into this triad. She launches into this speech and it truly is a low point in Bible history because she makes some vicious, angry, and unwarranted charges against God. And some of the most vicious ever recorded. Um, the, the, the poison and the venom that comes out of her mouth aimed at God, it's unreal. It, it shocked the citizens of Bethlehem and it shocks us today as we read them. Naomi has just been holding all of this inside and when it just erupts like a volcano and she spews out her poison and her accusations at none other than the Almighty God and Almighty God takes the brunt of it. Let's read, if you'll turn back to Ruth 1, Miss Brenda, and we're going to look back to some of, we're going to call these Naomi's greatest hits, okay? If you'll look back at Ruth 1 and read verses 20 through 21 for me, please. Like a lawyer in a courtroom, Naomi is laying out her charges against God. God is a bully. God is unfair. God is unjust. God is afflicting her. God is cruel. You know, she's bemoaning her misery and her anguish, and then she's, she's blaming God for all of it, and she's doing it publicly. You know, this, it's the big story of the book of Ruth. It's the story that transcends the narrative of the whole book. The character of God is being challenged. She's challenging the very character of God. And, and, and the question is, how is God going to respond to this? To somebody standing up and shaking their fist in the face of God and calling God cruel and unjust and all of these horrible things, making all these accusations against God, how is God going to respond to this? You know, it's easy for me and you to look at Naomi and think, the world are you talking about? What are you, uh, what, what, what are you talking about, Naomi? You... You're, you violated the commands of the Bible at every turn. You know, and now that your life has turned sour, how dare you blame God for the condition your life is in? You know, the list of Naomi's transgressions and the list of Naomi's offenses, it's, it's, it's numer they're numerous to say the least. You know, when, when you look at Naomi... You look at her traits and you look at the decisions that she makes, you know, it's, it's mighty hard to cast blame on God. It is. Um, he is not to blame for the choices that she made. Let me, let me give you a list of some choices that she made that put her in the situation she's in. Naomi and her husband abandoned Bethlehem because of the famine in the land. 
Naomi and her husband willfully disobey the clear command of the Bible in moving to Moab. Naomi refuses to return to Bethlehem upon the death of her husband in a pagan land. Naomi willfully disobeys the Bible in marrying her sons to Moabite women. Naomi spends 10 more years in Moab in disobedience to the Bible. Naomi decides to return home, not because she loves the Lord, but because the famine is over. Naomi sends Orpah back to Moab and its idols. Naomi invokes the name of Jehovah in pressuring her daughter, her daughters to worship idols. That's called blasphemy, if you didn't know. Naomi uses great pressure to force Ruth back to Moab and its gods. Naomi will not even speak to Ruth after she decides to live for the will of God. Naomi allows bitterness to consume her life. Naomi blasphemes God once again with wicked and vicious charges. Naomi forces Ruth to glean alone. Naomi allows Ruth to provide for her even though she has multiple kinsmen in the city. Naomi knowingly sends Ruth to a very dangerous place without warning. Naomi sends Ruth to seduce Boaz. Naomi advises Ruth to behave like a harlot. You see how long the list is of all the decisions that Naomi, not God, that Naomi made. Naomi, she disregards multiple commands from the scriptures. And when her life hits a brick wall, she has the audacity to blame God for it. God did not tell Naomi to move to Moab. God did not tell her to bury her husband in a pagan land. God, God did not tell her to marry her boys to pagans. In fact, in the pages of Scripture, God goes through great pains to warn them not to do that. But, you know, with, 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 and, and there she stands with the people of Bethlehem as her audience, and, and she just launches into this triad against God. All of uh, it, God is at fault for her misery. God is at fault for her pain. She went out full and she because of God. She used to be satisfied and happy. And now she's destitute and empty handed. And it's God's fault. He is the, he is the reason her name changed from Naomi to Mara. Her life was lovely and pleasant, but now it's miserable and bitter. And it's God's fault. Is there a reason why she called herself Moab? Is there a significance in that name? Just, just, it was just a way for her to show people that, oh, woe is me. And that's kind of what the name means. It's like she, she was putting on a, a, a pity party. She wanted everybody to know it. And, and, and that's all that was. It's just her throwing a little pity party and inviting everybody she knew. Wanted everybody to know it. And, you know, we watched Naomi ruin her life and cast blame on God. God is a bully. God is unfair. God is cruel. God is unjust. God is afflicting her. And the disasters... The disasters of her life have nothing to do with her actions and choices, but they're God's fault. It's all on God. She is stubborn. She is arrogant. She is hateful. She is vindictive. She is wrong. And guess what else she is? She, 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 she's a lot like me. 
And she she's a lot like you. She is. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, she is. She's a lot like all of us. What did you say? Oh, yep. Yeah. Wait, we're manipulative too. But you know, for all of the storylines that go through Ruth, this is the big one. The biggest storyline that is consistent through this book from beginning to end is Naomi versus God. That's the biggest storyline. Naomi is challenging the very character of God. She is challenging his compassion. She is challenging his faithful love. She is challenging his justice. All of these things are being called into question. What is God going to do? This woman is standing up and she's shaking her fist at God and she's saying, God, you're all of these things. And we're thinking, oh, you know, oh, man, what is God going to do? Man, God's going to God's going to get her. What in the what in the world is God going to do? Is God going to call down fire and brimstone on her like like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah? Is God going to call plagues on the Naomi like he did to the Pharaoh of Egypt? Is God going to have the earth swallow her up just like he did to the rebellion of Korah? How is God going to respond to these venomous accusations that Naomi is spewing at him? Let's take a look at how God responds to these things. In chapter 2, Ruth, she heads to the field to go glean with the reapers. It was a hard day. It was a hard day's work. But Boaz made sure that there were handfuls of purpose left behind for her. So she gathered up all she gathered. She beat it with a stick. She got all the, all the barley she could, she could carry. And, and she takes it home to Naomi. You know, and it's more than they need for their daily bread. Well, Marcus... You read chapter 2, verse 20 for me, please. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Blessed be he of... Is that, is that it? Blessed be he of the Lord. Naomi knows who put dinner on the table that night. She does. And the story is similar in chapter 3. When, when Ruth returns for a second time to her mother-in-law, she's carrying six measures of barley in her veil. And would you please read next chapter 3, verse 17. You know, the God that brought her back empty, he's sure filling up the food shelves pretty quick. Pretty fast, that pantry's getting full. That food, the food pantry's filling up. It's filling up for someone that brought her back empty. You know, and, 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 and one might even say that he's given good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And you know what? The giving... It's only just getting started. It's only just getting started. For Naomi, the last nine verses of Ruth, it reads like Christmas morning. Ruth 4.13, it's a wedding announcement and a birth announcement all rolled into one. 
Miss Charles, if you please read verse Ruth, verse chapter four, verse thirteen, please. You know, we can't help but notice the unusual wording in this verse. You know, after 10 years of, of marriage uh, to Malon, Ruth had new children. After 10 years of marriage. So we would, be, we would understand if she had began to worry that she was barren. She, Ruth probably worried that she was barren after 10 years and, no, and, and that she was unable to have a child. So we have a woman here who's afraid she's barren, and then we have a man as ancient as Boaz. When I tell you Boaz was old, Boaz was old. So they're going to need some help here. They're going to need some help. And one, one Jewish, old Jewish teacher, he put it like this. Ruth did his part. Boaz did his part. Now the Holy Ghost said, now nah, I'm going to do my part, you know? And uh, so here, here we come to the last scene of this play. We come to the last scene of this play and Ruth and Boaz are nowhere to be found. They're nowhere, in this last scene, they're, they're, they're not around. You know, we could understand why Boaz, if Boaz had died, like a lot of people think, if Boaz died, that would explain his absence. But, but, but what about Ruth? Ruth, all of a sudden, she's missing in action. Why? Because the whole arc of the book of Ruth is about the big story. It's about the big story. Naomi makes her charges against God, and God answers them. And you know what? The boatload of barley that she's received thus far, that's only the beginning. Now, uh, it, it, now in the pages of Scripture, Ruth, Ruth steps aside. Ruth steps aside now, and now Naomi is going to witness firsthand this God that dealt with her bitterly. Now she's going to witness him firsthand. And the final scene in this play is God and Naomi. Uh, Brother Mike, if you please read, please read chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, please. You get the big one. Uh, the Lord, uh, Naomi's going to unwrap six gifts here. There's six gifts she's going to unwrap here. Gift number one, the Lord gives her a grandchild. The Lord gives her a grandchild. Obed isn't just a baby. Obed is a miracle baby. Naomi's was standing uh, distraught at the, cross at, the, at the crossroads of her life, and 
she bitterly proclaims that she has no children in her womb and 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 now she's bemoaning this and now now she's holding in her arms the blessing of an impossible story she's holding this blessing in her arms she's lost her husband she lost her boys she comes to bethlehem empty but 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 this god that has dealt bitterly with her he's just done the impossible and i want you to notice the words of ruth 4:14 blessed be the lord which hath not left uh, thee this day without a kinsman now one would expect these ladies to say blessed be the lord which hath given thee a kinsman but they don't say that they say which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman you know what they're doing there they're throwing naomi's words back in her face they're throwing the naomi stood up in front of everybody and she said god has abandoned me god has left me and as she hold, as she's holding this baby in her arms the neighbor ladies look at her and say see naomi he hasn't left you he hasn't abandoned you god hasn't left you and those those women were reminding naomi of that the next thing that she, the gift that she gets is the Lord gives her a kinsman redeemer. The Lord gives her a kinsman redeemer. Now, this isn't just a grandchild. The Bible calls him a kinsman. Now, this is the first and only time in the Bible where a kinsman is someone other than an adult. Now, this this and this, you know, this statement it's unusual for another reason. It's because cuz most of the time when uh, uh, the name the name of the child is given before the life's purpose is given like you give the name and then you give the life's purpose but the fact that he was called a kinsman or redeemer before he was named that just emphasizes the role and the great reason he was born boaz was the redeemer of ruth but obed was naomi's redeemer uh, next the lord gives her number next the Lord gives her recognition and fame. The, the lady's wish for Obed is that his name may be famous in Israel. But those ladies could not imagine. They could not imagine how famous he would become. They could not imagine a little boy named David, a little shepherd boy named David. They could not imagine a little manger in Bethlehem. They hoped that his name would be famous in Israel. Well, his name is actually famous all over the world. Number next, the Lord gives her a restored life. And you know, babies have a way of doing that. Babies have a way of giving you new life. Put a, put a little one in the arms of a first-time mama or a first-time papa, and everything changes. Everything changes right then. You know, in Ruth 1, the self-centeredness of Naomi is in display, on display all through it. It's all about her. She's all about me. Well, now she's got a brand new life. Now there's uh, diapers to change. Now there's a little mouth to feed. Now she's going to see the first steps, hear the first words, see the first little tooth come in. All the joys of motherhood. Now, Naomi has something 
to live for. And in, in, in Ruth 1, the story of Naomi was a story of death. Elimelech died. Malon died. Chilion died. In fact, the, the impending death of, whole, of our whole family was coming. But now, in Ruth 4, now there's, there's life everywhere. But what, what else could we expect from the one who is the life? Number next, the Lord gives her a caregiver. All of Naomi's fears about old age, they melt away the instant Ruth has a son. Um, you know, for Naomi, Obed is going to be a nourisher of her old age. And a nourisher is somebody that puts bread and water on the table. You know, as the years come at Naomi, uh, she's not going to have to worry about sustenance. You know why? Because Obed's going to take care of Mama. Obed's going to take care of Mama. Naomi's words against God, they, they, they told us how empty the Lord made her. But now a little baby, this little baby is a promise to Naomi that her stomach will never be empty. Uh, she looks in the face of this baby and she knows God will supply all of my need. And then lastly, the Lord gives her Ruth. Now, I don't know how y'all did it, but when I was growing up on Christmas morning, I saved the biggest boxes for last because those were usually the best. Those were usually the best. So you saved the biggest, so you saved the biggest for last. Um, you know, and so it is for Naomi. When she returns from Bethlehem, she says, oh, I, I went out full, but, the, but I, I came back empty. She moans this. It's a horrible statement because standing right next to her is one of the greatest women in world history. Standing next to her is something the Bible calls a virtuous woman. How dare she say she came back empty-handed? She didn't. She came back with Ruth. The women of Bethlehem remind Naomi that Ruth is her daughter-in-law. And look, for most of the book of Ruth, Ruth is a pariah. What do people say about her? She's the Moabitess. She's the Moabitess. And people looked down on her and she had to, you know, nobody, nobody wanted Ruth and her family. Ah, but now, now things are different. Now things have changed. Now these women are, you can almost hear these ladies say, oh man, I, Naomi's so blessed to have Ruth as her daughter-in-law. I wish my daughter-in-law was like Ruth. You can almost hear the ladies saying that. And the ladies inform Naomi that Ruth loves her. Now this is unusual for the Old Testament because the Old Testament rarely mentions a woman's love. It's truth, that, that's truth. Okay, it rarely mentions it. And even more powerful is the fact that much of this love, from, this love between Naomi and Ruth, it's, it's going one way. We see a lot of love coming Naomi from Ruth, but we don't see a lot of love coming from Naomi to Ruth. It's all kind of one way, and it shows us that this love that Ruth had is, is merciful. That this, this love that Ruth had is unreciprocated. It's, she's, she's loving even though she's not getting any love back from Naomi. 
If Naomi would have made the statement, why would Ruth love me so much? There wouldn't be a whole lot of reasons to give. And then there's the fact that the Bible says that Ruth is better to thee than seven sons. Now, the ideal family, the ideal Israelite family at that day and time uh, was, was seven sons. That was the ideal family for the ancients. And the ancients, they preferred sons over daughters. Now, that may sound weird to me and you, but that's the way it was back then. We can't ignore that. That's the way it was. We don't need to sweep it under the rug and pretend it never happened. That's the way it was. They preferred sons to daughters. But then for them to say that this one woman is better than seven men, that's a bold statement. That's an ultimate tribute, especially in the Old Testament. So I, I want to remind us once again of Naomi's greatest, greatest hits. Whoever's next, if you read Ruth 1, verses 11 through 13, please. This is going on the greatest hits album. Naomi believes that her life is ruined by the fact that her sons are gone and that she's unable to bear any more sons. Never did the thought cross Naomi's mind that a daughter-in-law from Moab could not only be better than two sons, but also better than seven. You know, but, you know, before we close the curtain on Ruth, there's, there's two amazing, two more amazing things to discover. Uh, next, please read Ruth 4, verse 16, please. Ruth 4, verse 16. What a moment of bonding this must, this must have been. You know, you just imagine the tears of joy flowing from Naomi's face as she holds this little baby close to her heart. And just the closeness and the intimacy and the joy that she felt. And all, all, all of the, a lot of pain vanishes away in such a moment. And next we see that the neighbor ladies, they can't contain their joy. Verse 17, please. Chapter 4. You know, uh, this is the only name ceremony in the Bible where women are present other than the mother. Okay, this is the only one. And this is kind of like the Old Testament version of a birth announcement. And yet it does come with a little twist. There's a, little, there's a twist in here. And, and, and we, would expect, we would expect the ladies to say, there's a son born to Ruth. But it doesn't say that. 
So there's a son born to Naomi. So the Bible is written as if Ruth is the mother and not the grandmother. How's God going to respond to Ruth? And this is quite a response. This is quite a response. Naomi drags the holy God of the Bible in court, lays her charges out against him. God, you are a bully. God, you are unfair. God, you are cruel. God, you are unjust. God, you, you, you're afflicting me. And when God finally answers all of these accusations at the end of it, Ruth has a little baby in her arms. From Naomi to Mara, Mama. You know, when discussing the theme of the book of Ruth, the default response is always with redemption. And, and, you know, the story of Boaz, the redeemer, and Ruth, the redeemed, you read that story and it just jumps out at the pages at you and, and it almost makes you want to sing, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. But when we look at the bigger story, of Naomi versus God, then we, we, uh, we see something different. Something else comes into focus. When we watch Naomi, who is so human and so much like us, hurl accusations towards God, then, you know, and then God responds with tender love and tender mercy. You know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of the story of Calvary. After all of our sin and all that we've done and all the accusations we've thrown at God and all the times we've let God down and he responds to us with mercy and love. You know, watching God give to Naomi, we can't help but remember um, Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ruth stands at the crossroads, and she makes a choice for the ages. She turns her back on her pagan idols. She turns her back on her lost family. She turns her back on the only way she knows she can have comfort and ease. And she chooses to invest her life in the will of God. Through all of her loneliness, she never wavers and she never turns back. And then you have Naomi. Naomi abandons the Bible in hopes of a world where she'll be better off. But she learns Jeremiah 2.19 the hard way. Thine own wickedness shall come at thee. Know therefore and see that is, on, that is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee. You know, although she pays a hefty price for her choices, she pays a hefty price for her choices, she can never exhaust the loving kindness of the Savior. She can't do it. He gives and he gives and he gives again. And when the dust is settled, the grace of God captures Naomi's heart, this manipulator, 
this person who accuses, does all these horrible things through this book. At the end of the book, the grace of God captures her heart. Elimelech, he chose to follow his wallet and not the Bible. Orpah teaches us that no choice is the wrong choice. Mr. Ho, such a one, reminds us that the selfish choice is the wrong choice. And as for Boaz, he's another example of the man who's willing to say, I will serve the Lord. Saying yes to the Bible is always the right choice. Naomi, she makes her choices and then blames God for them. But that we stand in admiration of this Moabitess woman willing to put everything on the altar of sacrifice. Uh, Ruth stands at the, can at the can candy counter M&M's or Skittles, she knows what her choice is, and she makes it, and she chooses God. And that's all I have for the book of Ruth. Any questions on anything we've went over in this lesson? Do you think Ruth dies, or she's just faded off into the background? I think she's faded off because, in the end, the women did tell, you know, Ruth loves you, Naomi. So if Ruth loves her, I think she was still there. She just, like I said, took a, possibly, yeah. But um, she, uh, she, I believe she's still there, but she just took a back seat to the overall arc because the book started with Naomi and it ends with Naomi. And so, um, you know, that's what I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Right. Amen. That's a good way to look at it. Absolutely. All right. Any other thoughts, questions, concerns, or comments? Blame him. No. All right. All right, if that's all we have for Ruth, um, just I'll go ahead and tell you what we're going to start on next week. Uh, next week, we're going to start on Galatians. And uh, we are going to do things a little differently. Going to change things up a little bit. I need, my, I need my projector where I can get my clicker. Just a but uh, we are going to start Galatians next week, and I am, we're going to do a little different format for Galatians, and I'll, I'll explain that next week when we, uh, when we get to it. But, all right, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this great, wonderful lady in your Bible named Ruth. Lord, the conviction that she had when the whole world was telling her not to live for you, but, Lord, she didn't listen to the whole world. Lord, she listened to you. And, Lord, we, we're thankful for her example. Lord, we're thankful that just like Boaz redeemed Ruth, Lord, you redeemed us. You died on the cross of Calvary and you shed your blood. Lord, you redeemed us. You purchased us. 
and now we are yours. We belong to you. and We will spend eternity with you in heaven, Lord. Thank you for being our Redeemer. And Lord, just be with us tonight. Give us safety as we go home. Bring us back at your appointed hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, yeah. Elimelech chose to follow his wallet and not his Bible. Orpah teaches us that no choice is the wrong choice. Mr. Ho, such a one, reminds us that the selfish choice is the wrong choice. Boaz teaches us that saying yes to the Bible is always the right choice. Naomi, she makes her choices and blames God for them. And that, that was all of those statements I had. So, see, if I would have been me, if she was blaming God for this, blaming God for that, that would have been me. I would have just said, hand me my 